The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Is your organization a talent magnet? Is your culture the envy of the business market? Top organizations need top leaders. Make sure that you are that leader. This show will ensure that you are. Welcome to I Lead, The Leadership Connection with Dr. Linda Sharkey. Leaders today are more than just results. They are about creating legacies of great people, driving winning organizations, and raising the bar for themselves and that of their teams. Now, here is your host, Dr. Linda Sharkey. Welcome. I'm Linda Sharkey. Uh, Welcome to I Lead, The Leadership Connection, and uh, thank you, everybody, for joining me today. I just want to make a little plug. I hope you'll all be looking for my newest book that's going to be coming out actually in 2000, early 2017. I'm writing it uh, with Marag Barrett, and it's all about uh, the work, workplace uh, uh, going forward and how to future-proof your organization. So we're pretty excited about it. Wiley Press uh, contacted us, and uh, we're going to be publishing it. We're already doing some talks and uh, workshops around what we're discovering in our research, and it's pretty interesting, which leads me to my guest today. Um, I'm very thrilled to have uh, Mike Derrison on my show. I ran into Mike in San Francisco. He was uh, doing a talk at a session where I was uh, with a client that we were doing some work with, and I was just so impressed with what Mike had to say about his organization and how he leads it, and interestingly enough, he was from LinkedIn. Now, if you don't know who LinkedIn is, I don't, I, you, you haven't been on the U.S. in, in the planet, um, but LinkedIn is just this phenomenal com- company that just has evolved in my own time so much in, in this great networking for, for professionals, which just over the years has become stronger and stronger. And Mike is the vice president of sales solutions, which he helped launch. And, you know, part of his passion is to turbocharge social selling and gain insights into prospects, which is really pretty fascinating when you hear what he has to say. He's a Stanford MBA, a Berkeley uh, undergrad, uh, a Bain alum, uh, entrepreneur, thought leader, and passionate about social media and changing how the world traditionally sells. So I listened to Mike talk, and just, Mike, thanks so much for being on the, on the show. I just am so excited to have you. Well, thank you, Linda. Thanks for inviting me. Well, tell me, you're passionate about changing how the world traditionally sells. Tell me about that change. How do you see it changing, and how does the world traditionally sell, and how does it need need to sell? Sure. Well, I think you know, historically a lot of sales has been very very driven by high volume and in many ways low quality. Um, you know, cold calling is a core practice of many sales organizations. And, you know, in today's era with so much data and information and insights, 
it's largely unnecessary in many situations to do that, and it's a lot of missed opportunities. So, for example, where my, my passion started was prior to joining LinkedIn about five and a half years ago, I was an entrepreneur, and I started and built a startup. And one of the things you have to do in any startup is you're selling the company basically to raise capital in, in the event that you're not lucky to have immediately positive cash flow. Right. And, you know, you, you know, think about if you're an entrepreneur in this case or a business owner looking to, for capital I to sell. Can you, you can't really, like, cold call individuals or send a business plan to a VC in their email box and expect to get funding. Right. It's relationships. It's having context. And that's right. where I learned um, about the beauty of LinkedIn, which is here's a way that I can understand who's who, who's doing what, and most importantly, who do I know in common so I can have a warm introduction versus going in cold. And that really is the beauty of LinkedIn. I mean, over, over the – how long has LinkedIn been around? I should know the answer to that, but over the last 10 years, I think, really – yeah, I mean, actually, even longer. It was found in I think two thousand, late two thousand and three, back back in the day. Yeah, yeah and, Long time and, and ago. one of the one of the things that I've always noticed about LinkedIn is that you're constantly innovating, and you're constantly changing things. I mean, wasn't it MySpace that was out there for a while in that same kind of area? And now, who's ever heard of that, right? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, I think uh, you know a couple of things that are are interesting about social media is that I think at first blush, and it's now easy in hindsight after, you know, social media has been around, you know, 12 plus years, is that they're not all made the same. There's actually nuances that are very, very different and important. And as a result, we've seen different types of services and and sites uh, thrive and others haven't. So if you take, for example, uh, the, the social side, like consumer, uh, you know, with friends, family, et cetera. Yeah, that's, that's been a, a rough road. I mean, obviously, Facebook, you know, dominated and, and won, but you, you right. mentioned MySpace. There are many others. I don't know if you remember, like, High Five. There's Bebo. There was a bunch of these guys. Right. Now, one of the reasons LinkedIn survived, not just survived, but thrived. Thrived, is focusing Is focusing on your core, focusing right. on what makes you unique as opposed to playing uh, everyone else's game. And this, this dates back to our founder, Reid Hoffman, where focused always on, on the professional use case. And that focus is what has allowed LinkedIn to become what it is. You know, back in the day when Facebook was starting all that, LinkedIn very easily could have veered and tried to be uh, something to everyone. Um, instead, stayed the course. And there was many who were thinking, oh, why? what a boring social network, LinkedIn. And I think one of the things that's, that's valuable is that utility doesn't, isn't trendy. If you're getting business and professional value, I think you're less likely on, on average to be disrupted by the next, you know, hot, interesting, fun thing that may yeah. come around next. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I had, uh, you know, uh, Ben Casanova on the, on the show who wrote uh, with Reed yeah. the, oh, the book Alliance, which was really great. And, and, and the way he talked about how he built alliances and tours of duty within, within the company. And so it seems to me that, you know, you must have an extremely innovative culture there. Can you describe the culture? Well, absolutely, sure. So, I mean, our culture, we, we describe, first of all, we distinguish between culture, excuse me, uh, culture and our values, and both are critical to us. So culture is who we are and who we aspire to be, and values that we articulate are the set of guiding principles that help guide us in making decisions on a day-to-day basis. And so 
you know, I don't know if I want to, uh, if you want me to go and list, we have five cultural tenants and we have six values, but those are paramount to how we run the business. And I think, you know, for me, I, you know, I could talk about how we make sure they stick and they're implemented. I think for me, I've gone through a big transformation myself in that, you know, as a, most of my career as a startup guy, you know, I started thinking, uh, you know, culture and values. I don't have time for that. That's soft <laughs> stuff. We, we have to. Right. That's a bunch yeah, of hooey. fluffy. Right. Right. We, I mean, we have to, we have to, you know, make sure that we're getting a product out and we're going to be viable. And but what I realize is culture uh, is going to form whether you like it or not. So you may as well take control of it and shape it the way you want. And the first time I really saw this in action was at Bain. And Bain makes that places a lot of emphasis on culture. And as a, as a matter of fact, I think they largely are voted you know, one of the top consulting firms to work for year after year. And it's just a, a very concerned, real, culture? genuine. Because of uh, their yeah, culture, as one of the Mike? Most, yeah. Yeah. So within consulting firms, it's, it's typically rated, historically has been at the top, if not number one, for many, many years. And I think it's, I mean, there's part of it, which is, of course, the nature of the work, which, right. um, you know, is obviously going to uh, attract certain people and others. But what it has a very focused, genuine effort on, on building culture and investing in people and not in a, it comes second. It was part of what the, the firm was. And then, you know, I came to LinkedIn and I saw the same thing. And what I've come to realize is that not only is it make it a nicer place to work, but it's a competitive advantage, a very powerful competitive advantage if you have a strong culture. And how do you see it being a powerful competitive advantage? Can you describe that for me? Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's many ways uh, about it. So let's take for one, one of the most important things in the knowledge economy is, is talent, right? I mean, for, if you think about it, in the old days, it may have been distribution, it may have been scale. In today's right. world, as the world's moving so fast, particularly in the knowledge economy, you, you need the best people. So if you're going to have a, a way to get better people and you're going to be able to do it faster and cheaper, you're going to have an advantage, right? So right. one concept that we talk a lot about in the world of HR these days is you may have, have you heard of the concept talent brand? Oh, of course, yes. Yeah. So talent brand, you know, is, is increasingly becoming mainstream, which is, uh, which is what, what's the attractiveness? What's the reputation, the promise of what it may be like to work at your company, which may or may not be the same as the knowledge they have about you as a consumer. And some companies, I mean, just to break it down in very basic English, some companies are known to being a great place to work and others are not known for that. Right. That's right. going to have lots of impact. So we have a lot of data um, that shows if you have a high talent brand, you are going to have faster hire cycles and you're going to attract better people and your win rates against others is going to be easier. Take, for example, a company like Google, which all uh, I think is pretty well known as a phenomenal uh, talent brand, and there's there's many others, but um, the, that carries in the recruiting process. The other thing is, um, it's not just attracting uh, people who are looking for a job around the talent brand, but also referrals. So for many companies, referrals is the number one source of hires. Right. And think about That's- it. If you if your employees are engaged and they have the right fit and they love their culture, what are they going to do? They're going to tell their friends all about it naturally. And, uh, and their colleagues and other people they respect. And now you have inbound flow of talent coming in. 
So these are a couple uh, related to talent. Other things are it's very valuable when you're trying to make strategic moves and decisions and is to have a shared language, you know, so that you uh, there's a shared understanding and a shared language such that high-quality and speedy decisions can be made. Can be made, and, and that's so absolutely incre- uh, incredibly important. Now, it's interesting that you make a, a distinction between culture and, and the values, because some would argue that the values are kind of the underpinning of the culture, and if you're not living the values, you're not going to have the kind of culture that you want. So why did you make such a, why did LinkedIn make such a distinction yeah. between the two? Sure. Well, I think culture is, is to uh, basically describe who we are and who we aspire to be. So it's a very, it's, it's a descriptive statement. Our values are, are ways that help guide us when there's a tough question or a tough thing, how can we rely on that to guide us to make a decision? So for example, one of our six values is members first, right? I mean, LinkedIn is about uh, professional members and without our members, there is no LinkedIn. Right. So we want to make sure that it's always front and center. And so, you know, if you were to, you know, walk down the hall and sit on different meetings at LinkedIn today, you're probably going to hear, well, wait, hold on a minute. What about members first? And actually, that's another one you had asked before, like how has LinkedIn survived and thrived over the years? I think largely because we wanted to make sure we got it right with the members. There are lots of other um, networks who may have tried to uh, monetize or do things that weren't in the members' best interest in a way that was too extreme. And so it's a healthy balance. It's not members only. It's members first, right? We also need to um, provide uh, you know, this, this, this powerful network uh, to all the members, but... Um, we can't do that if uh, we are only focusing on what's best for, let's say, LinkedIn without thinking of the customer first and the member first. So it's yeah, been very valuable. Important. Very valuable. That's very important. Um, People, I, I wanted yeah. when we come back from break, we're going to take break a break uh, right now, Mike. But I want to come back and talk a little bit about Amazon, uh, which. You know, I don't know if you have a perspective on it, but people will say that they are uh, members first, or not members, but customers first. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about how you went about and how LinkedIn went about developing these culture and values. So stay with us. I'm talking to Mike Derrison, who is the Vice President of Sales Solutions at LinkedIn, great social media company. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Wednesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. 
for our special series on game-changing HR leaders. Learn how you can become the savvy leader who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next wave of business innovation. Game-changing HR leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or you can tweet the show at hashtag ILEADTLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now, back to ILEAD, the Leadership Connection. Welcome back to my show. I'm Linda Sharkey, and I'm talking to Mike Derrison, the Vice President of Sales Solutions at LinkedIn, talking about social media, how LinkedIn has managed to, not managed, has, has been in the forefront of continuing to innovate for its members and how they're using values to make decisions about how they run their company and how culture is such a critical component of, of keeping the talent brand uh, where they want it to be. So, Mike, I was, I was, I wanted to ask you. You know, people, you probably are aware of some of the feedback that was out there about Amazon, and I know a lot of people at Amazon. Um, what do you think of that culture? Do you really think it's that ruthless? And some would say that it's a company that puts customer first, and because it does that, uh, and it promises to deliver on time all the time that it's only for certain types of people. Do you, do you have a perspective about that? Yeah, I, you know, I, uh, Amazon's a company I admire greatly. I, um, you know, I, I don't have firsthand experience with the culture other than what perhaps many of us have read. So right. I, I do know that um, you know, it's, it's very rigorous and very uh, thought, thought out. And the one thing I would call it about their culture, which I think is very admirable, is you know, not a fear of making big bets and swinging big and yeah. taking a shot on things that may fail. And, you know, they've had a few along the way, but they've honestly had massive successes um, by swinging out, out of the, you know, in, in some big areas. So, um, you know, one thing I would say, I think it's kind of interesting about Amazon's uh, culture that I wanted to highlight, which uh, relates something to something about LinkedIn, is that, um, I don't know if you recall, there was a, you know, a pretty negative New York Times article yes, on Amazon's culture. Yep. Yeah, that was about six months ago. Right. And, and you know, it's 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 a pretty big one. And when what happened is it's something that's so valuable about LinkedIn and, and, and to some degree it's it's not just LinkedIn, it's about social media and the democratization of uh getting in voices out and having employees uh speak their mind. It's both uh in some companies, you know, it can be seen as a risk, but it's also a big opportunity because it's a way to be authentic. And so what happened is one of Amazon's engineers uh, wrote a long-form post on LinkedIn, basically um, you know, our I form that of a, too. Of a blog post. Right. And it got picked up, and it had millions of page views. And it was basically this employee countering it. And it was just a great juxtaposition of, here's an employee's voice on this. And, and again, I, I, had, I did not speak to the PR team at Amazon, so I'm not privy to that. But 
I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, better than anything a company could control, which is here's the authentic voice of your people. And, you know, this actually comes back to talent brand. Uh, I didn't yes. see it was going to go there. But, you know, it's, in today's world, you, you know, you can't, and there's only so much you can control. And so it's another example of you may as well create a great culture because uh, everyone's got a pulpit now. Everyone can speak their voice in, exactly. in a much more uh, targeted way and, and broadcast way. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was a, a really interesting uh, situation. And so now parties could read both, uh, both, both sides of the story. Yeah, and it's not put out by their PR department, to your point. It's put out by somebody that actually works there and didn't see the picture that way at all. So that's kind of like the, the best of, of yeah, all worlds. It is. And, you know, it's something that we're seeing, you know, uh, a big trend we're seeing is um, the desire for companies to essentially uh, do what's called employee activation, which is how do you get your employees to, to, to not just uh, build out their own brand but also share relevant information about their company. And it's not to get them to, to necessarily be cheerleaders, but to get them to be more vocal and provide them with news and information that may be more relevant that can help their employees um, with their own personal brands. And so, for example, we launched a product called Elevate, which makes it dead simple for employees in a company to share content and to build out both their brands and help the company with their brand as well. It's a big, yeah, big I, trend I, right now. You know, that, that's great, Which and, and what's really interesting about that is that, uh, you know, if you have a great talent brand and people love the culture, not only will they recommend the company to people that, you know, which we've known for years uh, from the research on an engagement, but they will not only recommend the company as a place to work to friends, but they'll also be willing to say great things about the company now in many places where there's a lot more social freedom to talk talk out, like like on a place like LinkedIn, et cetera. That's a good extension, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you guys uh, go about developing the culture? Yeah, so you know, I joined in two thousand early two thousand eleven. So you know, the company had already been around for what seven, eight years or so. Um, so I I wasn't there uh, obviously in the beginning. I I, I think there was a, an inflection point about two years before I arrived, somewhere around two thousand nine ish, where I I think in many ways LinkedIn was starting to do well, but I don't necessarily know LinkedIn was the the culture everyone aspired to, and there was a lot of room for improvement. And so some of our leaders literally sat down and said, you know, what, it, what do we want to be? What do we want to stand for? And, and all the way, um, and have that commitment all the way to the senior level. So, um, you know, our CEO, Jeff Weiner, uh, leads by example. He's leading out in front, talking about our culture and values incessantly. And, you know, when I was starting to talk about, you know, some of my skepticism or cynicism about culture and values and thinking, oh, God, a Dilbert commercial, I think it is when you actually just float it out, and, you know, a couple times and you leave it. But ironically, if you're talking about it incessantly and backing it up with how you promote people, how you, I mean, it starts with the whole cycle. How do you right. interview for them? How do you, what do you do when you hire them and they're onboarding and, and managing them and providing them their feedback and then ultimately promotion? All that whole step along the way, um, it, it becomes real. And you see within a few weeks, uh, people may have a little jaded view of, uh, I've heard this culture spiel before. They actually come along, and it's one of the, the top things. You know, also, we, as part of the culture, to make sure we really invest in it, you know, we, uh, every six months, you know, we do a very detailed employee survey, and we track all this stuff. 
and, and really get their opinion. And what you see time and time again is employees constantly talking about the culture and values is what uh, sets LinkedIn apart and what makes them happy, one of the main things that makes them happy. I think, you know, I, I think, you know, you don't hear much about Jack Welsh anymore, but, you know, I worked at GE during his era and I worked at GE during Jeff Immelt. And one of the things that I will tell you that sustained that company is because Jack understood culture and values. And, and, and it was a very, very important thing to make sure that the leaders lived the culture and the values of the company. Um, and, and people were actually called out about it. It was probably a little bit more ruthless than, than the company is today uh, in, in doing some of those things. So what do you do when somebody doesn't live the values? Yeah. Actually, I'll come down in a second. I'm actually curious, do you, does uh, any of Jack Welch, the particular culture pieces stand out at you that was really strong? That, uh, that really, I mean, I think from GE, I know the, the kind of managing the, uh, the, the top and the bottom performers just gets a lot of airplay, but are there other things that stood yeah, out with you? That you I, I will tell you there, there are three, um, Mike, which is a, you know, is a really great question, and I, I always like to debunk that top uh, 20, bottom 10, because I used to run and report you know, those sessions to, uh, to Jack and to Jeff and for, for a lot of the businesses and stuff, as all HR people did, frankly. And, you know, yes, we looked at people that were underperforming, but it didn't necessarily mean that we went in and, and lopped off 10% of the population and they got laid off every year. That was not the case at all. Uh, sometimes they were in the wrong job. Uh, sometimes uh, they were in the, in, in the wrong band, and we made a lot of changes. We would do development things and all that. But here are the three things that stuck out for GE for me. Both of those leaders, Jeff Immelt and Jack, had very strong values. Jack had the four E's. Jeff had, I, I can't remember, he had five uh, values for the company that he thought were really important. They did a lot of work with Bain, as you will remember, and they had a constant drumbeat around the strategy, and everybody knew it. It was one simple line, uh, and everybody knew it. And the other thing that they did, which was really incredible, they never faltered on leadership and leadership development, giving leaders feedback, coaching leaders, making sure that leaders were uh, uh, constantly learning, and it was an incredible learning organization. People wanted to learn new things and apply it in their organizations, and it was highly encouraged. Um, and, and that, I, I've worked in a lot of other places before that and since then, and I've, I've never seen a place quite like that. And it's still that way, which is kind of amazing. I mean, it's different today than it was, mm-hmm. you know, in Jack's era, but it's still quite a, quite a bit that way. So yeah. I don't want to talk about them. Yeah, I really yeah, want to yeah. talk about you and, and, and LinkedIn. Okay. But yeah. um, so what's... Uh, how does LinkedIn keep itself from getting disintermediated? Hmm. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a, it's a great question, and I think it's a couple of things. One is really understanding your core, what you are and what your core is, and investing very heavily. Every marginal dollar should first go there until you have critical mass and not losing sight of your core. And I think the companies that do it great have uh, obviously been very successful. I think there's an eagerness and a tendency to try to splinter off and take on the world. And over time, I think it's a recipe for disaster. That doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue adjacencies. So so we are very clear on our core. 
And we actually even have a framework. We talk about core, strategic, and venture, where the majority of you know, your investment dollars and time and people should be on the core. Another uh, percentage, but far smaller, is on strategic. You know, maybe one adjacency out um, that you want to start growing. And then finally, venture bet, something that is a bit left field or a bit outside of what we've normally done. So, for example, at LinkedIn, I'd say our venture bet last year would be, you know, we acquired uh, you know, a company called Linda, which is uh, a, learn, uh, a leading online learning development, which fits into the broader uh, picture of, of what LinkedIn's about. Uh, we were not a principal in L&D, learning and development, which is why it wasn't core. Now it's becoming more and more core. And so, but we didn't do that until the core was, and make a move like that until we really had the core uh, humming. And so for us, you know, our core is professionals, right? Um, our mission is to connect the world's professionals to be more productive and successful. We have north of 400 million members out of what we believe are about 720, if you include college students, pre-professionals. And so we still have more work to go on that mission, but we are well on our way on it. Um, you know, another piece of our core is what we would call a talent marketplace, right? On one side, you have recruiters. On the other side, you have job seekers. And that's our largest business. It generates about two-thirds of our revenue. It's called Talent Solutions. And uh, it's very robust, very strong. And so... We continue to invest and not lose sight. And so little things like where do you spend your management cycles starts there. As a result of focusing on the core, you then have opportunities and cash flow to start moving in other areas. And, you know, we have um, other businesses as well, including mine, that uh, was fun because we now have the ability to move out uh, an adjacency. In our case, is to help sales professionals be better at their job. So that's one I think is really focused on the core I think a second one is to really um, call out in your culture the need for big bets and to accept one of our values is intelligent, take intelligent risks. And that means the ability to and the acceptance of failures. It's very easy to uh, say take intelligent risks, but the word risk means that it's not a shoo in. And so I think right. a lot of companies say, you know, take intelligent risks. And and there's a lot of severe consequences. If right. You don't. When it and failed. Result, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah, right. It was an intelligent risk when it failed. Right. So we have a whole it's, only, it's, it's only good when it works, right? Yeah, exactly. And so we, we talk here, we have a whole methodology on what actually does it mean to take an intelligent risk. And as long as it's laid up up front, here's the parameters, here's the experiment we're taking, here's what we know, getting people on board then um, it's a very different, uh, a very different ballgame. And that's hard. And so, for example, um, you know, some of our executives will get up in front of thousands of people and talk about some of their personal and company failures to set the tone that that's a prerequisite for us to dream big. Yeah, and I love that. I love that because I, I tell you, companies that don't embrace failure, now obviously intelligent failure, uh, companies that don't embrace failure are companies that are, are just can't possibly get to that next level of innovation because they create places where there's fear. And once you begin to drive fear into your culture, people won't come up with the good ideas and suggestions. So, so tell me, Mike, what do you do if somebody really is, you know, countercultural or is not living the values? How do you deal with that? Yeah, sure. 
Well, I think, um, you know, first is obviously try your best to hire those that fit and bring that into the interview process. Yeah. And talk about, because I think a lot of, you know, a lot of people I think um, are pretty, um, uh, you know, open to uh, different cultures. It's just they're, they're looking to see guidance and they could very effortlessly move to one or the other. Others are naturally right out of the gate going to fit. And then there's just a subset that may not. It may not be for them. And it's not, it doesn't mean they're bad people if there's a bad cultural right. fit. You know, it really doesn't. It's just, it may not be them. You may be in a fast-moving company where you want people to, to move very quickly, and that's not what they're about or what they enjoy, and, and that's okay. But I think the, the compassionate thing to do, frankly, for both the employer and the employee, is if you do have a cultural um, uh, disconnect, is figure out a reasonable set of time of explaining to the employee, you know, what's expected and where uh, they're not consistent. And, and then if it's still not working out, it's best for both because the employee is not happy if they're in a place that they're not in accordance with a culture. Right. And so I think you have to have uh, very open, honest, constructive conversations uh, with, um, you know, with individuals. For example, one thing we talk a lot about is this notion of uh, leading with compassion. And for us, that means, you know, assuming best intent in others and starting from a place of ignorance if, if there's a disagreement. And if uh, someone is not doing that and, and constantly rushing a conclusion, not listening and not understanding and making judgment, that needs to be called out, you know, not necessarily in the spot in a group setting, but, um, you know, their manager or other people in the company, uh, pull them aside later and, uh, and do an immediate uh, debrief. And talk about, you know, uh, it's a moment. Again, these, these culture and values things, it's not, it's not like bucketed in like a, we're going to take care of it at X date at this meeting. Uh, it really works as the real-time uh, constant feedback back and forth. It's sounding to me like it's really part of your DNA. It's not like you say, oh, okay, well, today we're having our culture committee meeting, so we're going to talk about culture. It sounds like it's, it's, it is in, in, in the pulse of the company at all levels. It is in the DNA. I mean, again, and you can't, you can't fake this stuff, and it's, it, it, it just has to be, it has to you know, get started and reinforced at the top, but it's also... Uh, at the bottom as well, or not, I mean, in the middle, anywhere. I mean, anywhere in the company, uh, at any level. You know, one of the questions I get a lot is, you know, as LinkedIn's been growing, you know, what, um, you know, are, are you worried about what's going to happen to our special culture? And and I smile Wait, and I, I look back and I look back at them and I said, it's not up to me. It's up to you guys. Um, you know, it's up to all of us. If you love what it is, you have to preserve it. Is when you're not seeing it every day. You guys gotta you gotta call out and and lead by example with your colleagues wherever you uh, uh, are in the reporting uh, hierarchy. So uh, yeah, it's part of the DNA. You know, what, one example I give is tell us about your sales that, meeting that you you have. I yeah. I I, I yeah. really loved that. I mean, that's what we, so many people start with. Here are the financials, and here's our Kager, and here's you know, um, yeah. all this other stuff. And frankly, it bores the tears out of most people. But um, <laughs> th- yeah, I was intrigued by that. Yeah, sure. So, so we have, um, so those of you who are not in sales, um, many sales organizations will have a global sales kickoff, typically once a year. And for some, it could be training. For others, it's 
a way to recognize and celebrate those who did well. Um, for us, it's, it's really two things. It's one is to look back and celebrate uh, what we accomplished together um, last year. And then it's to uh, set our sight forward and start thinking about what, what we're going to do this year. And, and, and we bring them all together, and you know, in this case, thousands of employees at LinkedIn. And you know, we largely start, as, as it's probably a broken record now to all your listeners, guess where we start? Right. With uh, culture and values. And so you know, our, our, our SVP of uh, the entire sales and solutions uh, workforce, who reports to our CEO, Jeff uh, Wiener, he literally starts uh, after a few uh, opening remarks. He goes through our five cultural tenets and our six values, and he has a story behind each individual who represents that. And he goes into depth about it, and he does this every year. And this kind of repetitive, yeah, is, it sets a message. It doesn't mean that, you know, uh, we have later, we'll have breakouts, and each business will kind of go through a little bit of, of their numbers, but um, it's, it's largely secondary. We, we believe that inspiring others, and also we spend a lot of time on the vision and the strategy that if you really show a clear path of where you're going and why, um, results will follow. Again, I can sound like we're a nonprofit and revenue and results don't matter. They do. They, they matter greatly. Of course Without they do. them, there is no, there is no service LinkedIn. for numbers. <laughs> That's but, right. You know, I, I, do think, I do think a lot of sales organizations and, and just companies in general, they start, they start with... Um, uh, a little bit more the financial goals right. as what motivates people as opposed to um, the, the heart and the soul of why are we here? What is a greater the good? Purpose. So yep. the purpose. So we, we really try to explain like we are here for this purpose. We're a mission-driven company. And for us to achieve our mission and our vision, we obviously need revenue and profits. But those are actually secondary, critical but everything starts with the mission. We're, we're here far more than just to make money to make money. That is secondary. And, you know, I think that's so important because purpose is going to be and is a, a, a clear driver for organizations and for people in the organizations. And by you, your company, and it fits in with everything that Reed Hoffman says in the, bo- in the book Alliance and all of that about how, you know, how to, how, to, how to build these tours of duty and get people really focused on what's their purpose and how does that fit with, with what you're trying to do. But just by virtue of the fact that you start with those discussions sets and sends a huge message that that's what's primarily important to you and the financials will follow, and it certainly has for you guys. We're at break, but when we come back, Mike, I want to talk a little bit about what's on the horizon for LinkedIn, what you see going in in the future, and I do have a question uh, that came in from, that got emailed in on, you know, what's the big next technological social media aha? Uh, so stay with us. I'm talking to Mike Derrison, as uh, VP of, I just gave you a promotion, VP of Sales Solutions for LinkedIn. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Dr. Linda Sharkey promotes fact-based solutions for global organizations and leaders that are known to drive business success. Do you want to put the wow in your talent practices? How about a spring in your leadership approaches? Coaching and leadership development are proven methods that, if done right, really do make good leaders great. If you want a no-nonsense, practical approach that will enable you to compete anywhere in the world with measurable results, contact Linda today. Visit lindasharkey.com. Again, that's lindasharkey.com. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more, old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to I Lead, the Leadership Connection. To speak to Dr. Linda Sharkey or her guest, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Five seven nine zero, or you can tweet the show at hashtag I lead TLC. We'd also love to hear from you by email. The email address is radio at lindasharkey.com. Now back to I lead the leadership connection. Welcome back to my show. I have Mike Derrison on VP of Sales Solutions from LinkedIn, and we're just having a great conversation about what makes companies great and what's made LinkedIn and frankly such a such a powerhouse that I think is going to continue to be around for a very long time when we broke we were talking about purpose and uh, you know I see more and more organizations really thinking about what is that greater purpose that we're all about and it's different from mission and, and vision in, in, in many senses that got bastardized in the last century what, why is purpose so important from your perspective Mike well I mean I think at a, at a human level right <laughs> getting back to you know purpose is meaning and we obviously want meaning so I think it obviously hits this very core to who we all are as humans but I'd say one of the reasons it's increasingly important though is if you look at a lot of the studies and conversations with millennials, they over-index on uh, purpose far more than other generations. But a lot of other generations looked at a lot of purpose in life would be what you do outside of work, right? Right. And, right. Or you may have been in economic situations and that, you know, just to get a job. And for some of us and many of us, it is a critical to, just to have a job. And that, that shouldn't uh, go un, un, unnoticed. However... For, for, for many, particularly in professionals, they want more, particularly right. those who have options. And, um, and they want to be connected to something that, that means something that they can be proud of. And so, um, you know, I think we're going to continue to see the, the need for companies to start talking about purpose. You know, for example, you know, you could take an industry, um, say like insurance, and, you know, is the real way to rally your team around, you know, what your revenue goals are for the year. We're to start with a very uh, personal story of, let's say, what an insurance company did to help 
uh, a family. You know, they're policyholders, right? Right, exactly. And, 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 and lead with that and then go into, now how do we get there? Right. And I think that's a great switch. I mean, the 20th century, honestly, 20th century businesses were exactly where you were. You know, what you were saying, people come to work, they have a job, their, their emotional hook, their emotional purpose very often was outside the workplace. But now that we're studying the brain, we understand really what makes people people tick. That emotional side of the brain is extremely important, and it is what actually, through a study that Google recently did, that is what makes great teams teams. Not so much Robert's rules of order, but the team's emotional connection to each other and to a greater purpose. So I, I think that's a fascinating point that you're making. But let's get back to uh, LinkedIn here. And, you know, you talked about the next horizon of LinkedIn at this fabulous database of all these professionals all around the world, plus this fabulous database of all these jobs around the world that you now can mine and look at from a big data perspective. How are you using this, and how are you sort of carrying this into the next level of perhaps purpose for LinkedIn that can really yeah. make a difference? Yeah, so we're, we're you know, our future aspirations and our vision is to create economic opportunity for every member of a global workforce. So this is going beyond the professionals. And one way and the way we're going to do it is with very uh, big aspirations to create the world's first economic graph, which basically is a way of saying we want to digitally map the world economy. And let me break that down, which is imagine a way that if you had all these different, uh, and if you think of like a graph where you have nodes and you have line segments and Historically, uh, a social graph would be a node of an individual who knows another, and then you have a, a line in between them, and on and on you go, and you build out a graph. We, just, we thought, well, what about if you could take other boy, uh, building blocks, like companies, universities, skills, et cetera, and they were each nodes, and you interlaid those. Could we have capital, all forms of capital, human capital, investment capital, et cetera, move to where it could best be deployed? And so what are the building blocks of an economic graph? And then why is that important? Well, first, the way you would build uh, the economic graph is uh, imagine if you had a profile, a digital profile of every person in the, in the workforce, and then a profile for every company that one of those individuals uh, works at, uh, a digital a job represented for every job available part-time or full-time in the world, the universities and higher educational institutions upon which to get the training for that, then the skills required to uh, accomplish and get each one of those jobs, and then finally professional insight and knowledge from all those different institutions to the degree they want to share it. And all this is in a pipe dream. I mean, LinkedIn has each of these pieces is already in place. The question is the scale. And so, yeah. for example, if you take jobs, I mean, you know, LinkedIn, had, you know, even just two, three years ago, a couple hundred thousand jobs. And now, you know, I believe it's north of multiple millions of, of jobs, for example. And so what we, what we can do is by having all this information, we can start to identify what's called the skills gap. That's probably one of the biggest issues facing us today, which is economic uncertainty and economic dislocation. So what you have is more. a weird dichotomy. Pardon me? I said I couldn't agree with you more. That's why I think yeah. this is so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, so think about, um, I mean, without a job and so forth, I mean, communities and, and security, everything crumbles. And, and you have this weird dichotomy where 
They've got all this unemployment, millions and millions of unemployment, particularly youth unemployment. And you look at certain countries in, in Europe and in uh, the Middle East, I mean, on and on, where you, you see 40% youth unemployment rates. And yet, on the same side, you see millions of job offers, and op- excuse me, job openings. So we have this weird situation, and basically what that is is a skills gap. We've got companies that have lots of open requisitions to hire, and you've got you know, millions of people out of work. And so we think that LinkedIn can help by providing this information to uh, institutions and uh, higher education institutions, vocational institutions, uh, to uh, cities, to governments, so that they can retrain people on the fly as this world's getting dislocated so fast. Yeah, example, and, and maybe even refocus some of the educational institutions on, on some of those gaps that are there. Do you have enough data uh, at this point, Mike, to be able to point to what some of the skills gaps may be? A, sure. and B, do you have a, uh, any kind of pilot or example of where you've been able to work across the lines there to, to close those gaps? Absolutely. Yeah, so I think in terms of the skills gap, it really, again, it really depends on the community and the, the I mean, each one's going to be different based on what different industries they're on. But we, for, let me give you a few examples because we're starting, it's starting, it's, it's, it's really moving to reality versus what was just here a few years ago, kind of a, a dream and an aspiration. So, for example, we're working closely with, in the U.S. here, with the cities of Denver and Arizona to basically address the middle skills gap. So we are helping in those areas present what some of the uh, job opportunities are and some of the skills that are required. And this is also where you start to see Linda, which is Linda's the, the company. So you're learning. Of course, that's your name. And that's, of course, yep. your name, of course. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but uh, Linda with a Y, uh, where it's, it's uh, learning and development. And so you take it for that. Another one in the U.S. is working closely with uh, New York City. They have a tech talent pipeline, which is a program to train New Yorkers for high-tech jobs. Yep. And so uh, LinkedIn took data from, uh, I think, like three, 3 million members in New York and uh, over 100,000 uh, companies. Uh, to provide insights on what the current state of the, you know, the, the tech industry is there. Uh, we're doing similar things, for example, in Amsterdam. We're working with uh, the economic board in Amsterdam, uh, essentially to do this, and uh, Greater Man- Manchester, Singapore, et cetera. So it's, it's starting to come to life. And so you can imagine a day where, um, just here's a hypothetical example, um, let's say um, colleges or vocational institutions are pumping out uh, software engineers who know, say, Ruby on Rails. And suddenly, let's say Perl or another language is, is, or Python, whatever it may be, is suddenly um, what the jobs in demand are. So instead of waiting for very long cycles, imagine that was more real time. Right, which is brilliant. We're, we're coming towards the end of the show, Mike, and I want to ask, uh, I want to get to one other question for you. Uh, it got, it uh, got emailed in uh, during the show. What is the next big aha or thing for social media that, that you see coming down the pike that, you, that is going to just really be a big game changer? I'd say um, I'll just continue to go that last one, which is uh, learning and development. And this is less about necessarily getting a job and making sure we're constantly retooling ourselves. Because when we talk about the skills gap, it also has an impact on people in their current job. Because yeah. if you're not constantly learning, you're, you're, you're going to be behind. And there's so many... Uh, I mean, things are going so fast. So how do we constantly retool? I think 
some of us, I mean, you learn to some degree on the job, but still, um, the, the acceleration is going to be very fast. So we think that um, learning and development is going to be far different. Today, uh, companies may buy certain things. For example, you buy a learning development platform. Part of the problem is people don't spend the time and they go on the side to do it because it's not entwined in their day-to-day life. And so one of the things, for example, that we saw with Linda is that, you know, if uh, basically we could see based on where you want to go in terms of where you want to be promoted, people in, a similar, in, in that job, here's the skills that are required, and then right there real time show you that course. So that's all, those type of things are all being built out so that you can see and track in your career development what are the skills you need, and then right there on the fly get it inside of your day-to-day work experience. So that's wow. an area we're really excited about. Yeah. And do you think that people will go online? Because, uh, you know, there's been a lot of... I had Elliot Massey just on uh, recently who was actually the e-learning guru. Uh, quickly, do you think people really will go online to, to get the, the learning experience? Well, they already are. Yeah, I mean, they are. And, and, you know, and there's a whole... You know, you've got the whole MOOCs, which is the uh, right. online community, you know, co- colleges. Right. You've got... Uh, there's lots of startups. So... I, I believe so. I mean, just like pretty much everything else is moving online and electronic, not, yep. not, you know, not the whole industry, but, and I don't necessarily think four-year universities are going to go away, but uh, you're going to start seeing a uh, mix shift and, you know, share change moving to more digital. You're going to see a lot more bite-sized stuff. I mean, you're not going to go and register and enroll necessarily and physically go to community college uh, you know, two, three times a week every time I have to learn a new software. The cycle time for that is also too long in many ways. I, I, I went on YouTube to learn how to uh, put the battery in my uh, Mercedes key fob. <laughs> so, you know, that's yeah. what people are doing. Mike, we are coming to the end of the show. It was great. I thank you so much for spending the time. And uh, one last word on LinkedIn that you want to offer to the, to the world. <laughs> uh, one last offer. Um, well, if, uh, if you're one of the, uh, few who are not on, uh, it's worth, uh, giving a shot. It's far more, you know, LinkedIn is, uh, far more than about getting a job. It's, it's also about getting better in the jobs you're in. Yep. And totally so, agree. um, you know, and I represent in the case of selling, whether it's selling, marketing, et cetera, it's far broader. And, uh, uh thanks a lot for inviting me. I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed our chat. Yeah. I enjoyed having you on. Thanks a lot, Mike. And, um, Good luck, and I hope to run into you again soon. (laughs) Thanks, Linda. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of I Lead, The Leadership Connection. Please join Dr. Linda Sharkey again for another show next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a successful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 